0: You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want to read to you verses 1 to 12 from Ecclesiastes. He says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. In other words, whether you're good, bad, or otherwise, it doesn't, doesn't matter who you are, the same kinds of stuff happens to you. Verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. So he's like, this, is, this grieves me. That really good people and really wicked people, it's like there's no distinction in this life. They experience good things and bad things. It bothers them. bothers them. Middle of verse 3, also, the heart of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no reward, for their memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be made white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Sounds like a great theme for a men's conference, right? Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, or in the grave, to which you are going, and that is sobering. Verse 11, again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. What do you think it is? What do you think he's talking about? Talk about death. Talk about death and the reality that death is coming for us. Well, that's a warm thought. Number of years ago, a woman named Lucille Britt had been visiting the cemetery on Memorial Day in the United States. And when she came home, she wrote a poem. It's called The Dash Between the Dates the dash between the dates. I want to read a portion of it to you. Memorial Day was over now. All had left, and I was alone. I began to read the names and dates chiseled there on every stone, the dates which showed whether it was mom or dad or daughter or baby son. The dates were different, but the amount the same. There were two on every one. It was then I noticed something. It was but a simple line. It was the dash between the dates placed there. It stood for time. All at once it dawned on me how important that little line. The dates placed there belong to God. But that line is yours and mine. It's God who gives this precious life and God who takes away. But that line between he gives to us to do with what we may. The dash between the dates. That's all we get, loved ones, is the dash. A little, precious line that represents your life. The date that you're born, the date that you die, those dates, that belongs to God. That's his business. It's for him to decide, but that dash between the dates, when you die, if they chisel the date of your birth, the date of your death, that little dash in there, that is your life. That's what you got. You got one of them, and it may be short. And even if you live decades in the grand scheme of things, it will be short. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that date? And how do you make that date, that time, count? That's a pressing question. When you think about the brevity of life, and it is brief, it can create in us, in one sense, a a, a sense of, of anxiety because life is short and the Bible's got lots to say about dealing with that anxiety. But it can also create in us a sense of urgency, a sense of, I've got one shot at this, one shot. I need to make it count. How do you do that? How do you make this one precious life count. How do you really live before you die? Well, wonderfully, God does not leave us to our own devices to figure it out. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, you'll find many, many Bible texts that teach us about how to live before you die. But I I can't help but be impressed with how Solomon addresses it here in Ecclesiastes chapter nine. He doesn't try to be exhaustive. This is hardly exhaustive. There's, you could even argue there's far better answers elsewhere in scripture about how to live your life. But we would be foolish if we breezed over this and didn't linger long over the wisdom that's here because it is Solomonic wisdom about how to live before you die. It's practical. It's pointed, it's wise about how to make the most of that dash between the dates. It not that what you want to do? I mean, there isn't anybody here who would say this morning, oh, I don't really care what I do with that. Meh, nah, if I waste it, I waste it. Nobody's thinking that. We got one shot at this. So how do I make it count? Well, we've got here a message that, as I see it, has three main parts to it. First, he gives us a word about dying. And then he gives to us a word about living. And then he gives us some practical wisdom on how to live before you die. So let's take those one at a time. Let's start, first of all, with this word about dying. Notice what he says in verse 1. He reminds us about the fact that Everything. All of life. All of your life. Right down to the minutest detail is all in God's hands. Did you see that emphasis? But all this I laid to heart, verse 1, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Good people, bad people, people we aren't sure yet what we make of them, whoever they are, in all this life, everything is in the hand of God. We talk about the sovereignty of God in church because he is sovereign. In other words, he is in full control of everything. He rules over it all. And in terms of dates and times and seasons, he assigns them all. He rules over all of it. And when it comes to the future, only he knows what is to come. We don't know the future. That's why even just a few minutes ago, talking about our plans for the next few weeks, we don't know what could happen. Any, any number of things that could happen that could change our plans, even radically. So we, we look ahead, we, we plan, we ponder, and we set a course. But at the end of the day, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Only God knows, and that's what He's reminding us of. It's all in God's hands. He says in verse two, reminds us that life is entirely unpredictable. He says it is the same for all, since the same events happen to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, a so worshipper and unworshipper alike. As a good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears as is he who shuns an oath. Swearing there means, means promising, means vowing. It's like it's, It really doesn't seem, from a human perspective, it doesn't really seem to matter who you are or what you're like. Life is fully unpredictable, and only God knows what tomorrow will bring. And at the end of our passage, he returns to this theme. Verse 11, uh, he, he talks about time and chance happening to everyone. You see that at the end of verse 11? Time and chance happen to them all. From a human perspective, there's sometimes it's just like you know, stuff happens. It's it's there's no rhyme or reason from our perspective as to why things happen. When you bring God back into the picture, you know that there is reason, but lots of times we don't see or even know what that is. Time and chance, he says, happened to them all. Then verse verse 12, notice that first line. For man does not know his time. And your time, like your time to die, you don't know when that's going to be. Could be decades from now, could be years from now, could be months from now, could be days from now. Could be today. I know it sounds kind of ghoulish, but it's true, isn't it? I remember when I was little, my grandmother used to always say she she was so matter-of-fact about death. And she, I, heard, I don't know how many times I heard her say this. She said, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. I don't know. My grandma didn't write Ecclesiastes. But she sure caught the drift of Solomon's observations. What's he saying here about dying? A word about dying. Make a note of this. The time is unknown. The time is unknown to you, to me. It's known to God but is not known to you and me. It's a word about dying, a wise word about dying. Do we get that? Our time is unknown. God knows what tomorrow will bring, will bring but there's, there's no telling from our perspective what it will bring. We can predict, we can see, but we know that in terms of my life, in terms of my death, it's in God's hands. Many people live their lives as if the number of their days will never run out. And I think that there is widespread denial. I think that's how much of humanity keeps it together, is by ignoring and pushing away thoughts about death and trying to deny and trying to ignore the reality of it. I think that's how much of humanity keeps it together, is by denial and and just, just push it away. And it's interesting sometimes the way we try to mute death. And even even when somebody dies, and this is no judgment, please don't misunderstand me. It's just no judgment, just just pure observation, pure observation. More and more, you've noticed we call it a celebration of life, and that's. I'm not down on that. I'm not down. I get it. It is good to celebrate a person's life, but it's interesting, and even in my short lifetime, we've seen that has become more and more. We're less and less inclined to call it a funeral. Now this is just me, okay? No judgment. I've been, I've had loved ones celebrations in life, so don't misunderstand me. Don't, fit, but here, this is just me. When I die, it's going to be called a funeral, because I don't. This is just me, just me, okay? No judgment. Don't please don't email me, okay? When I die, it's going to be called a funeral, because I don't want the attendees to miss the reality of death. When it comes to a celebration of life, I have one of those every year. It's called my birthday. But when I die, that's a serious thing that I don't want attendees to miss. In other words, your time's coming too. You're standing over looking at me in my deadness, which we'll see. I don't know. I won't be around to know whether you'll be able to see me or not. But what about you? See, it's a reality that the time of our death is unknown, but it's coming. I remember, I still remember very clearly the first time in my life that this, this ever came home to land on me. I was in grade six, and my dad had a, one of his best friends uh, did roofing work on the side. And uh, he and his son, who I'd met several times... He his son, who was about in his early 20s, I think he was 22, they came over that morning, first thing in the morning, they're going to a roofing job, and they borrowed my dad's ladder. My dad had a, a 40-foot extension ladder, and they were doing a high roof, and so they needed dad, they wanted to borrow my dad's ladder. So they came first thing in the morning and borrowed the ladder, and off they went to the roofing job. Middle of the afternoon, my dad got a call that his friend's son, again about the age of 22, had fallen off the roof. Uh, we, we don't know, to this day, we don't know exactly what happened and how he came that he fell, but he fell from the roof and plummeted down and, and landed on the ground. And by the next morning, I still remember, still remember, clear as day, my dad coming and telling me, Brian died. And there I am, six, not six years old, in grade six, as a young person, for the first time in my life that I can recall being rocked by the reality that someone who's not an old person, not the sensitive of old people, but somebody who's not old, died. I remember it rocking me, shaking me to my core that here is a young person who I remembered sitting in our kitchen laughing, telling stories, was gone. Beloved ones, this is the reality, and many, many of you have encountered this. Some of you in very personal ways. Some of you, even your own children. I don't need to tell you about the realities of death, but we are reminded in scripture and here in this text that death is coming. And the time for us is unknown. That's important for us to note. Now we're worried about living. Worried about living? Well, a word about dying, the time is unknown. A word about living, the time is now. Right now. I see that in verse, there's a main emphasis that I discern in verses 3 to 6. In verse 3, he talks about the world being full of evil people. This is an evil that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. It's like, so Solomon looks around, he observes yeah, there's good people and there's bad people, but there's a, there's a general drift through society, and that is people are full of evil and wickedness and selfishness. And he notes, he says, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Like a, it, that word madness speaks of a, a moral wildness, a morally self-destructive kind of behavior. And think about even, even so-called good people. You might think of yourself as a good person, and think about even you as this good person, How many times you've hurt people in your life? Things you've said, things you've done, things you didn't say, you didn't do. And you hurt people, you you know it. Even the good people aren't all that good. And then, never mind the bad people, the viciousness, the violence, the rampant selfishness. We live in a world where the residents herein have gone insane. As we run from God, as we push him away and do our own thing. It's interesting, he says in verse 4, he talks about hope, but it's not the kind of hope that we anticipate. Like, we're down in the depths here about death and wickedness, and we're looking for the, the light of hope. And we see that word hope, but it's funny that it's not the kind of hope that we're anticipating. He says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. Like, yes, yes, bring the gospel, bring new news about God and his goodness. But notice what he says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. So, so the, the hope, you're better off because you're, still, you're not dead yet. So you, you got a chance. You, you at least, the, de- the dead person doesn't know. They, they, they're, they're in another place now, but you know. You know that life is short. For the living know, verse 5, that they will die, but the dead know nothing. You see what he's saying? He's saying, he's like, you, if you are alive, you're on that dash, and you've got the shot still. You can still make it count. And that whole line here about living dogs and dead lions, you know I'm a dog lover, so I have to really pay attention to these things and don't misinterpret. A lion is a noble beast. The dog in antiquity were despised, scavengers, dangerous, looked down upon. I'm so glad my little Milo lives now. What's the point? Well, the point, if I put it in modern language or in our context, it'd be like, better to be a living rat than a dead house pet. Because you got a chance to live before you die. Do you see that? You've got a shot to live. It's right now. It's on. You've got one shot of this life and you are taking it right now. God is gracious. He's given you many days. If you're here in this room and you're understanding what I'm saying, God has given you many days Many chances, many opportunities to make it count. But what's implicit here is that there's a lot of people who don't live before they die. Well, they live, but they don't live. It's like the the rock uh, singer, Sam Roberts, Canadian rock singer. He's got this song I've heard many times where he's got this line in the song where he says, I think my life is passing me by. I wonder about you. Do you feel like that too? Do you feel like your life is passing you by? Is it? Well, what do we do about that? Well, when it comes to understanding death, realize that the time is unknown. When it comes to thinking about life, what Solomon tells us here is the time to live is now. It's right now. So how do we do this then? Wonderfully, the author here doesn't just leave us hanging. He, I think, has for us some real... Practical wisdom about how to live, how to really live before you die, how to make this life count. In verse 7, he says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. That doesn't almost sound right, doesn't it? If you grew up in church, it's like, there's something wrong here. There needs to be something about on mission for Jesus. Well, there's a little bit of that coming, a little bit. That your garments always be white, let not oil be lacking on your head. So clean your clothes. Shower yourself. Verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife of whom you love all the days of your vain life. Or mine, vain, because it's limited. That you've been given under the sun because that is your portion in life and, your, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in the grief to which you are going. What is he saying here? He's saying... Live before you die. Live. Live. Say, well, how do, I, how do I do that? There's a lot of people, maybe in your life, you think that they think they're living. Are they really living? Well, we're given here some practical guidance. How do you live before you die? Well, one way you live before you die is by enjoying the gifts that God gives you. Emphasis on God. Emphasis on gifts. Emphasis on gives you. God has given you and me tremendous gifts in this life. And the call here in this text is an important one for some of us to hear. The call is to enjoy them. You live before you die by enjoying the gifts that God gives you. He gives the example in verses seven of eight of food and drink. Now this is the first time in Ecclesiastes where we're encouraged to enjoy uh, food and drink, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 8, and all of these chapters, he references that, and we get the sense that as we come into chapter 9, that the food and drink are not just gifts in and of themselves, but are, are given, they are a, a, a venue by which we experience God's kindness, so enjoying that food, enjoying that drink, and enjoying that tasty dessert, and, and enjoying the vegetables out of your garden, and enjoying a picnic with, your, with a friend, in and, and enjoying these things, we don't just enjoy them, but we also recognize that they come to us from God. He mentions that. He said, God has already approved what you do. It's not, it's not wrong to enjoy them. Some of us probably need to hear that. There's many of us that maybe are at the opposite end of the spectrum that maybe enjoy too much, and God's God's Word has something to say about that. But there's some of us us that have come maybe from a background or even just have a mindset that if I'm enjoying it, if I'm finding pleasure in it, then it must be sinful. And that's not the case. God already approves, he says, verse 7. Think of 1 Timothy 6 and 17. I think we got it on the screen, too. 1 Timothy 6 and 17 now, in the context, he's talking about money and, and wealth. But notice, I've underlined a phrase in here that I really want you to notice. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now, wealth and being rich, that's relative. Many of us, as far as the world standards are concerned, are well off. So what's the word for us? Well, the word is don't set your hopes on those things. Don't, don't rest the weight of your confidence Certainly not the weight of your full joy in those things. But he says, but instead put it on God, who, notice, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So and the careful Bible student will come to me and say, well, Ross, I mean, OK, this word about enjoying food and beverage, that's all well and good. But it's Ecclesiastes. And I mean, some of the stuff he says in there, you really got to think about it. Really but here we've got Paul in the New Testament. He's saying that God has given you good things to enjoy. So what's the word? The word is to enjoy them. You're not more spiritual if you abstain, necessarily. Yes, it's good and right to enjoy what God has given. There's long been thinking that enjoyment might be ungodly, that pleasure is worldly, that, uh, that satisfying one's appetites is, in and of itself, dishonoring. That truly spiritual people are those who abstain. And here we see in Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes says, that's hogwash. First Timothy 4.4 4 says, everything pre- created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. If it's received with thanksgiving. So there's a recognition, there's an acknowledgement that I have this, this meal, this coffee. Mm, I love coffee. No, I love Jesus. I like coffee. (laughs) A lot. I've got it as a gift from God. That shower that you may have taken this morning, it's a gift from the Lord. It's from him. I receive it with thanksgiving because I acknowledge here I am experiencing in a tangible, palatable way his kindness. Knowing full well I don't deserve any of this. In fact, I deserve the opposite. We talked about that last week. I deserve judgment. I deserve wrath from this God. But not only in Jesus am I spared that wrath, but I'm given all this bevy of kindnesses that I experience consider the life of Jesus. On many occasions, we read in the Gospels of him enjoying meals in people's homes, enjoying the food, enjoying the fellowship, being present with people in that context. In fact, we, we see it enough that in Matthew 11, his opponents accused him, falsely accused him, of being a, a glutton and a drunkard. So where do they get that from? Because like, they were like, every time we turn around, this Jesus is having a meal with somebody. He was just a drunk and a glutton. Now, that was blasphemous and slanderous and not fair and not true. But it does point to the fact that Jesus knew something of this wisdom in his life in Ecclesiastes about enjoying God's good gifts. Consider the witness of the early church, Acts 2 and 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, I understand, the way I understand this, is that the breaking bread in their homes especially refers to eating meals together and enjoying that fellowship together over food. This kind of enjoyment. It's not the main thing, but it's part of the living we do before we die. So right about now, you might be hearing me say, I think I like where this sermon's going. I I think I like it. We're going to the Mandarin today to worship Jesus. Well, you can, with thanksgiving in your heart, recognizing that this is the Lord's goodness. You can savor that good hamburger, or veggie burger, wherever you're at there. I'm not sure it's more difficult, I find, to enjoy a veggie burger, but to each their own. You can nurse that cup of coffee. You can let that chocolate melt in your mouth. You can indulge in one of the great, great dishes of all time, Palak paneer. How many of you know what Palak paneer is? It's an Indian dish. First time I saw it, it, I thought it was absolutely disgusting looking, but then I vowed I was going to try everything that night, and I tried it, and I've never looked back. Trust me. It's puree spinach with paneer cheese. Now, some of you are just like, yeah, I'm definitely not trying that. No, you've got to try it. It's like one of the best things I've ever tasted. You can enjoy that. Now, to be clear, we're not denying that moderation is important. Now, some of you are like, okay, it's about time he said this. Remember, Paul says First Corinthians six twelve, I will not be dominated or ruled or controlled by anything. Food in our lives can be too much and can be too little. It can be a major problem. We're not denying that here. There's godly wisdom in that, in wrestling through that. We're also not denying that there are sometimes and some things that certain people should avoid. Maybe you should avoid alcohol. Maybe there's foods you should abstain from for the sake of your health. Maybe certain occasions and seasons call for you to avoid. This is not denying that you should also not be concerned for others who are without. If we feed ourselves and give no thought to the unfed millions around the world, then I'm not really sure that we're with Solomon in his godly wisdom here. But this doesn't alter or undermine the fact that in God's goodness we are free to enjoy. And it's part of living. Enjoying the gifts that God gives you. Has ever Have you ever wondered at the fact that we can taste? Have you ever wondered at that? Like for most of us in this room here, there are foods that we could list that taste good. Have you ever stopped and marveled at the fact that you can taste? Now, I know I'm being insensitive. Maybe a few of you are like, I, I can't taste. I'm, I'm sorry I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to everybody else. Have you ever marveled at that? that you can smell, that you walk in the home and somebody you love is baking an apple pie and it hits your nostrils and it's just like, just overwhelmed, it's like like a preview of heaven. Why is that, that we can taste, that we can smell? Why is it when you bite into that burger, you just go, mmm? I think it's a marvel of God's kindness, a symbol of his goodness, that not only do we have things that we, not only do we, are we given food to sustain us, but we can enjoy it. Have you ever marveled at that? That's not somehow, as if we got our Bible, if we got our theology right, that didn't just happen. We didn't just evolve into people who liked the taste of things. We are created for it. And so what Solomon says here is one of the ways we live before we die is by enjoying the gifts that God gives you. Enjoying it. Things like food and drink. Things like family and marriage. That's where he goes in verse 9, right? I love that line. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. You do love her, brother, don't you? You love her. Do you enjoy your life with her? Because that's what it's for, that marriage, is to enjoy your life with her. We see more fully in the New Testament to give glory to Jesus, representing that union between Jesus and his church. You know, Jesus loves his church. Doesn't just endure his church. Doesn't just put up with her. Jesus and the church are not glorified roommates. He loves his church. Do you love Do you love her? Do you love your wife? Brothers are like, when are you gonna speak to my, wives, my wife about this? Applies to you, too. Too many couples, loved ones, just endure their life as husband and wife. And I think that's a waste. You say, Ross, you don't, you don't know what we've been through. You don't know what we're facing. Well, first of all, I'll tell you, you might be surprised. I've seen a few things. But maybe I don't. But I do know this. You did not marry that woman. You did not marry that man to tolerate them. And it's not God's will for your marriage. And your twisted mind, you might hear that and you like, great, there's my out. No, it is not your out. It is your in to turn back to that person. Maybe there's counsel that you need. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe there's prayer you need. Maybe there's biblical wisdom you need. There's a lot of reasons why a marriage can go stale, can go cold, but the imperative here in verse 9 is a call to enjoy one another. That is part of the point as you experience the goodness of God. So I just think, just pastorally, let's just throw this out here. I think that a good biblical application of verse 9 in this text is to make every effort to enjoy your spouse. You say, well, I think that'll take a lot of effort. Then make it. God has given you someone to walk through this fleeting, frustrating life if you're married. And that is a tremendous grace to you. I broaden this out and speak of family as well. A church family, too. But here's an opportunity for me just to dig into marriage just a little bit for a moment. Ted Cunningham wrote a book called "Fun Loving You," enjoying your marriage in the midst of the grind. And in there, I think he's just got. I think he's really onto something. He challenges couples to in their lives, in their schedule, to have three things: a daily delay, a weekly withdrawal, an annual abandon. Daily delay, weekly withdrawal, and the uh, uh, annual abandon. A Daily delay, uninterrupted 15 or 20 minutes of conversation every day. You're like, that's easy. It's good. Some people sitting around you, though, it's like, that's going to be hard. You can do it. You know how I did it? In our old house, it was super easy. We had this really tiny kitchen. And so what I would do, this, this is just me. This is just what I would do. Please don't judge. Okay, this is what I would do. It's for my wife, for our marriage. Is while she was making the kids' lunches, yes, she made the kids' lunches. I would go in, and we had these tall stools, and I would just go into the kitchen, turn the stool around, and sit there and just talk. That's how I did it. I'm like, well, didn't you jump in there and help with the lunches? Mm, wasn't enough room. I got the feeling she didn't need my help too. <laughs> I'm just saying, hey, if you judge, fine, you come up with your idea. What are you gonna do? 15, 20 minutes of conversation. Get in her kitchen. Get in his garage. Go on out there. he would love it. he would love it. Love it. Just came out there. What you doing? Oh, yeah. Ask a couple questions. Talked to him. He's like, Are you kidding me? I got better things to do. What, than love your husband? You can do it. 15, 20 minutes of conversation a day. Start here. Ask your spouse. Do we do that? Like 15, 20 minutes conversation a day. A daily delay. Just lingering to talk with you maybe sit in the front stoop. Now at our new house here, what we got got, we've got two chairs in the front stoop. That's there for loving. Not that kind of lovin'. I mean that conversation kind of lovin'. <laughs> a daily delay, a weekly withdrawal, away from home but in town, just go somewhere, go to the park, go walk along the canal, go for a drive, have a date, meet for lunch, Just a week of withdrawal, it's not a big thing, it's not a far away thing, but it's an intentional thing. Annual abandon, just to get away, get away, go camp somewhere, maybe go visit a town you've always wanted to visit, go check out a market, go to a car show, I don't know. An annual abandon. What's the point of this? The point of this is that God has been good to us in this life to give us good gifts to enjoy and in enjoying them we honor him because they're gifts from him. And some of the greatest gifts are the people that God has put right in your house. Right in your life. You don't honor the Lord by having a dumpy marriage. So take intentional steps to do that. Enjoy life with the wife, whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because it's just a dash. It's just a dash. And then will come a date. So enjoy, enjoy. One of the ways that we do that is by, that we apply this, is by enjoying the gifts that God gives us. Finally, another way that we enjoy Uh, that we enjoy the goodness of God, that we live our lives before we die, is by engaging in the work that God assigns us. There's gifts that he gives us. There's also work that he assigns us. He's given us work to do. It says in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I love that. You got work in front of you? Whatever it is, what's in front of you today? What's in front of you in your household? What's in front of you in your neighborhood? What's in front of you in your school? What's in front of you in your workplace? What does he say here? He says, do it. It's in front of you to do so. So do it heartily. Work heartily as unto the Lord. That's what Paul says, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, work heartily. Put your heart into it. I'm going to do this. Whatever you do as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as a reward. So even that mundane job that you don't like, that you feel stuck in, trapped in, when you drag your sorry self in there tomorrow and get and pick up whatever it is you've got to pick up and start doing it, remind yourself, I'm doing this for the Lord as part of God's goodness, and I'm going to do this as worship unto Him. You say, Ross, that's a real stretch if you knew what my job is. It's not a stretch if you do it in faith. Say, Lord, you see, you've put this in front of me to do right now. This is what I got right now. This is part of my dash. And it's also part of your provision. So I'm, I'm going to do it. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. John 4 and 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See what Jesus' attitude was? Here's, here's what fills me. It's doing what God calls me to do. And one of the things that God has called you to do is to work for him. It could be in your home. It could be in your neighborhood, in your school, in your job. But engage in the work that God has assigned you. What do you have to do? What is it that you have to do in your home, well, do it with all your might. Learn. R- r- pray about it. Read books on marriage, on parenting. Uh, what is it you've got to do at work? Get good at it. Get good at it. Be, be the best you can at it. What's God giving you to do at church? Well, invest yourself. Give, give your heart to that to maximize your blessing of others. What's God giving you to do as a volunteer in your community? Put your back into it. Resist the half-heartedness. Resist the urge. Ah, good enough. Beware of being over-committed, but beware of being under-committed. Do what God has given you to do. This is how we live. Sometimes our lives pass us by because we're not engaged in faith in God of the things that are right before us. How many of you, or even myself, seem to always be looking ahead and wishing and dreaming for something better, missing the life that is? It's good to dream. It's godly to have ambitions. But don't overlook what's in front of you right now. Because right now, maybe all you and I get. So the wisdom here is that, listen, life is short. It can end without a moment's notice. So the time to live is now. Live before you die by enjoying the gifts that God gives you and engaging in the work that God assigns you. All the work and all the tasks that are put before us to do can be done, should be done, as unto the Lord. So do it as unto him. Now before I close, I want to give you three, three pastoral handles. You know what I mean by handle? Like something like, okay, you have heard a lot, you've said a lot. Help me to take this with me. So three handles, okay? Like a bag. Grab hold of this and take it with me. And they all start with the letter A. I love alliteration. Appreciate, anticipate. Accept. Appreciate. I will encourage you to intentionally cultivate appreciation for the generosity and goodness of God to you in your life. In everything. From the shower to the lunch to the work that you have before you, appreciate. Give thanks before your meals. Like, give thanks before your meals. How many of us, and I ain't any different, at our mealtime prayers, and it's good that you do that, you do do that, don't you? Thank God for your food. But how many times can we fall into, thank you for God for this food, Blessed to our bodies, in Jesus' name, amen. And it's attack. It's so easy to fall into that. Some of you don't. Bless you for that. But there's lots of us that would do well to remember, I don't deserve any of this. And not only has God given it to me to fill me and to fuel me, but it looks like it's going to taste good. I understand if what's in front of you, you're like, I see that and I know it's not going to taste good. But at least it's food. And God is good. To be intentional about cultivating appreciation, thanking God, and to be intentional, even if you did this for a day, to be intentional about, but thinking about what it is I'm enjoying as that hot water is going over your body and the soap is on your body and you're drinking that coffee and you're petting that dog and you are watching the the waves on the water as you look at those things and just be aware of the fact that there is a God who is good to you to see that to smell that appreciate and thank him Ask God to give you eyes wide open to see and to savor his goodness in the things he's given you. Appreciate. Second, anticipate. Anticipate. We've talked about lots of good things here. This text talks about good gifts from God like food and drink, marriage and family, even work. But I put this word here, anticipate, because as we appreciate the good things that we have now from God, we also anticipate this, that in Jesus, there are greater gifts to come. So you might sit down to a good meal today. Well, you'd be good to remember as you enjoy that meal that there is a great meal to come. The Bible calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's pointing forward to a time that if you were in Jesus, you're going to be with Jesus and celebrate his forever kingdom in heaven. It's, it's a, a pointer forward to something. Good. As you thank God for the meal that you're about to eat, it's, it's as though you might be well to remind, be reminded that the Lord would say, there's a greater meal to come. Anticipate. The, 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 best, the, the, the best banquet ever is to come. Marriage. If, if your marriage you enjoy, as you work in your marriage, be reminded that the full and forever marriage is with Jesus. And there will be a great union with him one day. It's coming soon in, in heaven. Uh, and anticipate when you will be with the Lord, never to be separated again. That's what that marriage that you're struggling through, that's, that what, that's what it's to depict. It depicts that permanency, that faithful union with Jesus. Jesus never leaves his bride, so we, we know we'll be with him. And one day when he comes, we will be joined to him in a way we are joined to him now, but in a way that will be full and complete, and it will be beautiful. That's to come. So as you work in your marriage and you strive to enjoy Life with the wife that God has given you, it's also you do it with appreciation and anticipation of what's to come. The mirrors that come when I will be with Jesus, never to be separated. Oh, how precious that will be! If this is good or even sort of good, that's going to be great. Work it points forward to a coming rest. I believe there will be work in heaven. That's another sermon but it will not be saddled with all the curse of frustration that we experience now. So as you wipe sweat from your brow and you bandage up your bloodied finger and as you walk on aching knees and as you haul your sorry self back into that job again, remember, rest is coming. Rest is coming. And the work in heaven will be beautiful indeed. Anticipate. Appreciate. Anticipate. Finally. Accept. Accept from the Lord abundant life. Accept from the Lord abundant life. I recognize that there's things that I'm pointing you today that some of you are so saddled with hurt, maybe grief, sorrow, disappointment, that frankly you're finding a lot of the things I'm saying today really hard to hear. Because you hear me talk about enjoying life with the wife that God has given you. And you say, I wish I had a wife. Or, I don't know how that could ever happen. There's others that will hear about work and wish that there's things that they could do that they can no longer can or never been able to. I recognize that for many of us, there are things that you're hearing today that maybe would grieve you just at hearing them. But, to accept abundant life from the Lord is to find life in Him that is satisfying because it doesn't consist merely in eating and drinking and doing, but in knowing the risen Savior who will give to you eternal purpose when you trust Him and will restore to you life in knowing him, and will give you victory over all your frustrations and even death. Jesus said, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to see that in Jesus here, there is a life to be had. In knowing him, knowing the risen Jesus, not just knowing about him, anybody can know about him, but to know him personally, to love him, that is life. And when you come to know him, all of your life takes meaning. You know, the goodnesses that we experience are not only uh, to endear us as believers toward God who has been kind to us, but Paul says that God's kindnesses are meant to lead us to repentance. Did you know that? The Bible says that. Romans 2, verses 4 and 5, it says the kindnesses of God is meant to lead us to repentance. So maybe as you think of your life right now, an effect it may have on you is to cause you to accept God and the abundant life that he offers you. The good things that you have, they are there. Part of their purpose in being there is to soften your hardened heart toward a God who cares for you. And who calls to you, come to me and live. Appreciate, anticipate, accept. Will you accept this Jesus and live? Will you turn to this God and trust him? I pray that you will. Let's pray together.